on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Yes, it is a great nation, though we are facing great challenges all around the world. At the U.N., the Secretary of State making uh, strong declarations about the possibilities of peace in the Middle East. Possibilities of peace will only take place, will only exist, according to a, a very significant column in the Wall Street Journal, when uh, Israel gets unconditional surrender. What's the model? The model is dealing with Nazi Germany because of the many, many similarities between the Hamas killers, terrorists, uh, evildoers, uh, ghouls, uh, between the similarities between those people and the Nazis themselves. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. We'll be speaking uh, direct to Jerusalem a little bit later this hour when uh, we will bring you up to date with my brother, Jonathan Medved, who is a... Um, a prominent uh, Israeli uh, a business leader, venture capitalist with the, uh, the Israeli high-tech sector, talking a little bit about life in Israel and the way people look ahead to what could be a brutal and endless war. Speaking of brutal and endless wars, the Republicans trying to pick a Speaker of the House. They are a step closer, perhaps, because Tom Emmer, as I predicted yesterday, uh, got the most votes. He was selected as the Republican nominee. Now he has to go to the House floor. The House may be taking a look at Emmer as as soon as what well, might be the middle of the show. We will go there immediately. I think it would be a good choice. But uh, Emmer has just been excoriated as a globalist rhino. Why? Because he voted to certify uh, Joe Biden as the duly elected president of the United States. Um, who certified him as a globalist rhino, uh, saying that he doesn't know him at the same time? Uh, well, you can guess. It is President Trump. And another part of that crack Trump legal team that was challenging the election results way back in 2020, uh, Jenna Ellis, you may remember her. She was part of that infamous bleeding hair uh, press conference that Rudy Giuliani led. She was there together with Sidney Powell. She was standing right behind Rudy now she is crying and saying she wishes she had never gotten involved. She's pleading guilty. Uh, then there were three, three prominent lawyers. Uh, President Trump has had a lot to say today. We will get to that. He was entering the court to face Michael Cohen, formerly his fixer, the closest personal lawyer that he had, somebody who some years ago now, has uh, turned uh, against uh, President Trump. Uh, we will uh, cover all of this. Uh, first, uh, first off, what is going on with the House Speaker vote? Okay, uh, the House Republicans nominated Tom Emmer of Minnesota to be our candidate for Speaker. 
but it's far from clear he can actually get the votes he needs to win the job at the White House. Who is Tom Emmer? He was somebody who uh, really worked his way up every level of government. He was a city council member in uh, some rural communities in Minnesota. Uh, then he was a member of the Minnesota State Legislature. He came within one half a percentage of the vote of getting elected governor of Minnesota back in 2010. So he was somebody who can campaign and campaign form formidably. He is a father of seven children. Uh, he is a serious Roman Catholic with a Roman Catholic education. Uh, he's also a very serious hockey player and hockey coach. And uh, with, curiously enough, his undergraduate degree before his law degree, which he won in Minnesota, he got an undergraduate degree from the University of Alaska. And when we get a chance to speak to Tom Emmer, as I assume we will, I, I assume and hope that he will be chosen as the Speaker of the House. Um, the House is taking a break right now until 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that will be, of course, right in the middle of our show. And uh, this gives Mr. Emmer time to win over some of his opponents. The reports are that there are about 10 members of the House who have said that Emmer is unacceptable. Why is he unacceptable? Well, the... Uh, uh, the uh, statement by President Trump today on Truth Social kind of explains why, to some people, he is unacceptable. Uh, Trump on Tuesday, that's today, warned House Republicans against backing Tom Emmer as Speaker shortly after the conference nominated the Minnesota Republican to finally take the gavel and allow our country at a time of tremendous crisis in the Middle East and tremendous suffering and difficulties with the war in Ukraine and a problem of a government shutdown looming on November 17th, which really is, what, three weeks from now? Um, Donald Trump posted on True Social today, uh, quote, I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some are truly great warriors. He puts warriors with a capital W. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. A Trump wrote on Truth Social, using the acronym for Republican in name only. This is somebody who has been a lifelong Republican, head of the Republican Campaign Committee, uh, someone who is decidedly conservative uh, with a almost perfect record of voting from the American Conservative Union. The only basis in which you could say that he was a rhino is he actually recognizes that Biden won the election, which is kind of useful because Biden is functioning for better and worse as the president of the United States. And right now, we don't want the presidency to be in the same kind of situation the speakership is, right? Where nobody knows uh, who is really in charge or responsible and everything is breaking down. Uh, we we need a functioning executive and a functioning legislature in this constitutional republic. 
Um, uh, the complaint by Trump against Emmer, he says that Emmer never respected his endorsements or the breadth and scope of MAGA, and he claimed that Emmer is totally out of touch with Republican voters. I believe he has now learned his lesson because he is saying that he is pro-Trump all the way. But who can ever be sure, Trump wrote. He has only changed because that's what it takes to win? Question mark. The Republican Party cannot take that chance because that's not where the America First voters are. Voting for a globalist rhino like Tom Emmer would be a tragic mistake. And we know that, okay, President Trump endorsed Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan had three chances to uh, win the 217 votes he needed uh, in order to become speaker, didn't make it. Uh, the, the situation here is truly, truly bizarre. When uh, the, the president of the United States, the man who wants to be the new president of the United States, was a former president of the United States, Trump wants to run for the third time as a Republican nominee, uh, is trying to block the choice of the majority of the House Republicans. We'll bring you the latest on that, the latest from Israel and the UN and more coming up on the MedVet Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, given the fact that uh, the struggle for speaker is not even close to being resolved, uh, and uh, there are predictions that they may not get it done this week, which would be very serious problem. I mean, a tremendous problem for Republicans going forward. For those of us who really do want to see the Republicans expand and solidify their control of the House of Representatives, the idea that this is what happens when Republicans do control the House of Representatives, this is not a great thing. Uh, other than um, President Trump uh, endorsing uh, Jim Jordan, who had three shots, who had the three strikes and you're out, he has uh, also endorsed an alternative for Speaker of the House. It is not the globalist rhino, as he describes him, uh, Tom Emmer of Minnesota. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever described Tom Emmer as a rhino before. Uh, if anything, he has drawn opposition in his home state, which is very much a swing state. It is a state where there have been prominent victories for uh, Republicans in the state of Minnesota, but it, it uh, certainly leans Democratic. It's the only state in the country in 1984 when Ronald Reagan carried everything. He lost Minnesota by about 1,600 votes. It was very, very close. Otherwise, he would have been the only president in history, well, since George Washington, to win uh, every one of the states. Um, Trump... Uh, made a, another surprise endorsement when he was discussing 
the speaker's vote, he said uh, the only one who could get 217 right now is, well, here is uh, President uh, Trump describing uh, somebody who he believes could unite the Republican caucus. Listen. I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus came down and said, I want to be speaker. He would do it. Other than that, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody that can guarantee it. But at some point, I think we're going uh, to have somebody pretty soon. Okay, we're going to have somebody pretty soon. Uh, the House last night started... Um, uh, Paring down the nine candidates who had actually declared their candidacy for speaker. Uh, he that Emmer was nominated by a majority of Republicans behind closed doors today. That was after a series of secret ballot votes that whittled down the field. In the fifth and final round of voting, Emmer defeated uh, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, securing the GOP nomination. That uh, that vote was uh, 117 to 97, and so it was relatively close. Uh, Representative Pete Sessions of Texas lost on the first ballot. Uh, Jack Bergman, uh, uh, General Bergman uh, of the Marine Corps, uh, he is a representative from Michigan, from the Upper Peninsula. We talked about him yesterday. He lost on the second ballot, Austin Scott of Georgia, who I think has actually handled himself very well recently in this regard in fighting for speaker. Uh, the the uh, Austin Scott of Georgia was out on the third ballot, and then two candidates, Byron Donalds of Florida and Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, were eliminated in the fourth round. Uh, Representative Gary Palmer of Alabama dropped out prior to the first vote this morning, followed by another very good and capable guy, Dan Muser of Pennsylvania. He exited last night. A nominee must secure 217 votes on the House floor to be elected, and uh, (laughs) that's proved difficult, to say the least. Why? Because there are just 221 Republicans in the House right now. And conservative and moderate factions are divided over who should be the leader after Kevin McCarthy has been ousted. Uh, the, the eight people who voted against McCarthy to remove him as Speaker, uh, that would have been more than enough to have blocked his return. Uh, Following his temporary win uh, for Tom Emmer, the Republican conference held a roll call vote to gauge Emmer's support. Roughly 20 GOP lawmakers voted no on the Minnesota Republican speaker bid, according to Representative Nicole Maliotakis of New York. The vote indicates that uh, Emmer faces a tough road to securing the 217 votes needed to win the Speaker's gavel. Uh, this is uh, this is unreal, and it is not a a good moment for the Republicans in the House, uh, especially with with all of this 
going on in terms of uh, the security of uh, the United States and uh, the the danger of an expanded war. Uh, we um, we're going to be speaking to my brother in Jerusalem and uh, reporting on a. A Hamas terrorist who said in a call uh, using a murdered Israeli's phone uh, calls his parents saying, Ma, Ma, look at how many I killed with my own hands. Your son killed Jews. Uh, as if this was a matter of uh, extreme pride. At the UN, the Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that the Hamas attacks on Israel, quote, did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation, but that the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas. The idea of 56 years of suffocating occupation, if he's talking about Gaza, it's not true how can there be an occupation when there is no israeli presence there no israeli flags no israeli police officers no israeli troops no israeli fortifications uh no israeli businesses nothing it is jew pure uh the gaza strip and in fact, there, there is a great U.N. presence. So if it's suffocating occupation, given the fact that 80 percent of the people living in Gaza, it's more than two million people, uh, have received money from the United Nations. Uh, what an outrage from uh, the the secretary general. He says the um, the people of Gaza have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements. There are no settlements in Gaza. And plagued by violence, their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. And, and again, uh, that kind of justification will be speaking to my brother in Israel coming right up. Your outlet for outrage. I'm not going to take this anymore. The Michael Medved Show. And as promised... Here on the Michael Medved Show, we are able to be joined by another Medved, uh, Jonathan Medved. He is the uh, Medved who has made his life in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, for oh, going on 40 years, actually more than 40 years. And he uh, uh, has been enduring, like all Israelis have, this uh, ongoing war, the war based upon the attack from Gaza, not an attack on Gaza, from Gaza against Israel itself. Uh, Jonathan, and there are lots of members of our family, of your family, who are directly impacted uh, by this war. How, how many close relatives do we have now who have been called up? Yeah, if you you know take all the cousins and uh, it's it's quite a bunch, Michael. Uh, look, everybody in this country is impacted. When you take 
I mean, just looking at my my company at our crowd, we have 20 people called up out of our 200 person workforce. But then there are about 15 uh, women whose husbands have been called up, and until just recently, the kids are home from school, so they're affected. And then it's the brothers and the sisters and the cousins and the in-laws. There isn't a single family in Israel that isn't affected. But it's not just the call-up. It's the the horrors and the atrocities that were conducted by these maniacal jihadi, you know, zombies. They're like, it was some kind of a inhuman attack. And over the last couple of days, they've been releasing videos and um, audio of the interrogations that are going on of the captured Hamas people, where they're talking about their joy in, in killing, in beheading, in raping teenage girls' corpses, in cutting off, the, and I'm sorry to say this to your listeners, this is a trigger warning, cutting off the heads of babies and then mixing them up, Okay, this is the, just the most outrageous thing you've ever seen. We are scarred forever. We can't get it out of our our minds and our reality, and we are angry, and we're going to make sure that it never happens again. We have a, a slogan or a statement among the Jews, never again. Well, never again is now. Okay, this, this, is, this is what they did is not just the Nazis, it's ISIS. And it's worse than ISIS. There was a tape played today of a Hamas terrorist, whatever you want to call him, who called back to his family in Gaza during the horrors of that Saturday. And you could hear him on the phone saying, hey, mommy, daddy, I've killed 10. I've killed 10 people. Their blood is on my hands. And then the mommy and the daddy yell, kill, kill, kill. It's, it's just we're dealing with maniacs, and this Hamas regime is going to end. There are 40,000 of their fighters underground waiting for our on, you know, oncoming incursion, except that we are really waiting to get our hands on these people and to end this regime of evil. Have we found out more about these tunnels because of the hostages that have been released so far? A total of four hostages of 222 who have been released so far. Uh, how do we know that there are 40,000 uh, Hamas fighters who are ready to, uh, to meet the oncoming Israeli ground mission? Because that's the estimates that I heard uh, made by military, you know, correspondence, and I think by foreign sources like the U.S., no one knows for sure. But those what are does the it, What, do, what does being... it mean? And this is, this is one of the most common questions that I get, and you're in a much better position, of course, Jonathan. My brother Jonathan, who's speaking to us from Jerusalem, uh, what does it mean when people say to eliminate Hamas? I mean, obviously, to uh, break apart some of their military resources, their rocket launchers, and uh, what other other military not, not resources? Not some, they all have. of it, Michael. All of it. They, I think, the agreement here from right to left, it's a hundred percent unanimous in this country, is that. What this means is they will not be able to fire rockets anymore. That their entire 
political and military leadership will be dead, that all of the commandos who took part in this atrocity, this, whole, this mini holocaust, will be dead. We've set up units whose job it will be, just like we did after the Munich massacre at the Olympics, to eliminate all of the commandos and the leadership we can identify who were associated with this attack. And once that's completed, that mission, then we will hopefully, you know, figure out the right way to rehabilitate the member. We, we, we left the Gaza Strip 18 years ago. We left the most beautiful factories and we left them intact and we left hothouses and packing houses. They could have built a paradise, a beautiful beach. They could have invested in it. What did they do? They invested in building a terror zombie army whose only technology is how to kill Jews in the most brutal way, who were given instructions to dismember. Literally, we're hearing interviews today about these terrorists saying, oh, yes, we were told to cut their legs off and cut their heads off. This is not human. And don't believe that they're just attacking Israel. They are coming for you in America. They are coming for Europe. They're coming for Asia. They're coming for anywhere in the civilized world. Listen to what they say. They are completely and totally insane. And just like you don't leave ISIS to come back and get you again, we are in no way going to let Hamas exist as an organization, as a political entity, as a military force who is able to threaten us anymore. What about the the timing? I mean, uh, obviously, you've been very clear and very forceful speaking about the the ultimate goal and totally dismantling Hamas and going after the leaders. Well, first of all, isn't it true that a lot of the leaders of Hamas live nowhere near Gaza? They live in the Gulf Emirates. Uh, we they, will, they we live will track elsewhere. them down and we will eliminate them wherever they are. I am certain of that. And when you're certain, certain of that, what what is the timing like? Because I know that there is a... <laughs> if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. And I certainly wouldn't <laughs> right. tell your your listeners. I mean, that one might be a scoop, but it wouldn't be smart. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, um, you know, simply a business person who has a lot of, uh, a lot of interest in getting our story out. I think that you know, we the, the, perhaps the most heartening element of this incredibly depressing couple of weeks we've been through has been to see the support that we're getting from people like your listeners, starting with the president of the United States, Joe Biden, including, you know, the uh, prime ministers of Germany and the U.K. and France and Italy and it, it, Netherlands. See, I know the prime minister of the Netherlands, Netherlands came to Israel. But it's, 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 it's people, it's like Bono, you know, in his concert. And it's not simple, by the way, to, to stand up and support Israel. But this is not a case of balance. This is not a case of keeping score. This is a case of good and eagle, evil. We are not fighting the Palestinians. We are fighting Hamas. And Hamas is the latter-day reincarnation, Michael, you know this, of the cult of Moloch. 
you know your Bible, you know that in the land of Israel, the Holy Land, there was a cult that believed in killing children. Jonathan, Jonathan, can children. you can you hold on for a moment? Uh, because what you're getting to is extremely important. I want to continue talking with my brother in Jerusalem, where it's the middle of the night, about uh, what is going on, the, uh, the, the real story on the ongoing war in the Middle East. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show a few minutes more with my brother Jonathan Medved who has a company in uh, Israel it's an important company uh, it's called our crowd and it has helped to um, arrange investments in uh, the Israeli high-tech industry which has changed the nature of life in Israel enormously for the better uh, and Jonathan, right now, one of the things that's trying to change the life in Israel uh, enormously for the better is dealing with the ongoing threat of Hamas, which cannot be allowed to continue as a threat to the people of Israel. Before the break, you had brought up uh, a biblical parallel, which is the cult of Moloch, which is a uh, an evil Canaanite. Uh, God, who uh, they sacrificed babies to, they took children and and threw them in fire, and and you were saying that that it, it is almost as if the so-called warriors of Hamas are modern-day followers of this uh, idol-worshiping cult. Uh, so go on, finish the there, thought. There, no, there's, there's simply no other way to understand it. This was the, perhaps one of the most evil, horrific cults of the ancient world, where they believed that the way to reach holiness and uh, uh, you know, a higher level of consciousness was to kill your children and to sacrifice them to this idol. And that's what this Hamas cult is all about because they're not just sacrificing our children they've by the way are holding 30 children hostages these complete un inhuman people are holding 30 babies and children hostages at this moment and they're talking as though they're normal they came and slaughtered hundreds of little children they cut wombs open. They killed children in their mother's arms and, and the, killed the parents first of the children watch and then the, the, the children first of the parents watch. It was unbelievable. How else can you understand this other than seeing it literally in these biblical terms? And we know that Father Abraham and the early Jews in this country were told in the Bible, make sure that you, you simply don't not follow these customs, but eradicate them. Because a monotheistic outlook, belief in God, cannot coexist with people who kill children and then who celebrate it and video it and post it and say, hey, mommy, aren't you proud of me? 
this is simply not going to exist. We are going to stop it, and we're doing it not just for Israel's security, but for the rest of the world. Yesterday we had on Mark Regev, uh, the former Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom. He's an advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. And he talked about a victory. And the one thing that people are talking about is a, a, a decisive, clear-cut, definitive Israeli victory. And the one question I could ask you is, what happens after that? Do you believe that there is any uh, intention of reoccupying or um, uh, reestablishing Israeli authority over the Gaza Strip? Uh, or is that something that would be negotiated? What, what happens after victory? Look, there are many different scenarios that people are considering. And I think that what, let's get to victory. This is not going to be an easy campaign. This is unfortunately going to go on, not just for a matter of days, but for weeks, most probably. And it's going to have costs. And we're very, very aware of that, except that this has to be done because we are going to rebuild. I'm much less concerned about what's going to be in Gaza than I am in what's going to be in Israel. There are 200,000 Israeli internal refugees, 200,000 Israelis who are now thrown out of their homes. There are a total of 7,000 Israelis who have been wounded and killed in this campaign. There are 220 hostages, including 30 children, still in these barbarians' hands. We have to get rid of them and their, their political evil regime, and then we need to rebuild our villages. We need to pour lots of money and creativity and talent. We have to build new companies. We have to make our desert bloom again so that we can get beyond this incredible horror. And, and God willing, we'll do that. And then afterwards, don't worry, the, you know, with help from our coalition partners, and we really do have a coalition of good nations working with us, we'll find a solution which will allow the Palestinians to also breathe freer, to not be under the jackboot of these people who, by the way, when they want to uh, act barbarically, they do it against their own people. They are sacrificing their own children. They put their rocket launchers in schools. They build their bunkers under hospitals. They shoot missiles which land in their hospital and then blame it on us. Okay, this is what we're up against. And this is not a question of sitting and trying to figure out who's right. This is about evil and about good. And those who support life, who support families and children and freedom and democracy are now fighting the most barbaric, the most evil group that really the world has almost ever seen. And we are angry, but for good reason, because what we've experienced just ties into a little bit of history that we've had. We've seen evil before. We've survived it. Now we can defend ourselves, and we will. You were telling me uh, in the conversation we had last week, uh, not on the air, but personally, that the unification of, of Israel 
by dealing with this horror, by dealing with this nightmare force of zombies, as you call them, that the unification between left and right and uh, uh, people who are more right-wing and left-wing, and that that has been remarkable and striking. Uh, what are some examples of that sense of unification and common dedication that are right now animating the people of Israel? Well, everybody everywhere in the country is engaged in acts of chesed, or chesed is loving kindness, where if anyone even dares to bring up politics, people shush him and say, quiet, not now. We are fully united to win the war. But what, you know, occupies people's minds, for example, my wife, was finding pairs of shoes for, you know, toddlers up to age three. We needed 1,500 pairs of shoes because the kids who had to run away from the South, some of them walked away barefoot. There's not shoes for them. So, they, you know, that's not in a government uh, warehouse. People organize and get them. We have a hotel here which is housing these refugees. They needed 90 playpens, 90 cribs. We got that taken care of. Every day people are feeding tens of thousands of meals to these people, to our soldiers who are sitting waiting on the front line to go in on the ground incursion. We have housing to arrange for 200,000 people. And most importantly, what I'm working on is making sure that our economy continues to function, that we continue to solve global challenges in climate and quantum computing and cybersecurity, and that our defense has the best technology possible, including companies that we're supporting now that uh, create the software for the Iron Dome or fighting fake news on the Internet and whatnot. So there's lots to do. Everybody is, is united in this. The people are really uh, fully engaged in order to, to not just get to victory, but then to rebuild Israel stronger, better, and more successful as a result. And with uh, a few of those divisions uh, that um, were so polarizing, oh, even a month ago, uh, that has changed and is changing. My brother, Jonathan Medved, uh, you can read more about his work at our website at michaelmedved.com. You can also read the latest from Stand With Us, which is a an organization um, meant to monitor the situation in the Middle East and to bring you the truth and truthful accounts of what is going on. Uh, brother, I know it's late. You should sleep well, uh, save up strength for the battles ahead and know that you have lots and lots of support from this greatest nation on God's green earth.